0: Conservative or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at EGBERTOWILLIES. That is at Egberto Willies. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Today we have some great, great interviewees for you. We have Tory Mercer, you're going to love his message. And also we have Benjamin Hernandez. That's the guy who challenged Ted Cruz. I have another video here for you. And this one has to do... With, um, with one of the victims of the, uh, I, I think it's San, of Sandy Hook. And he, his message is prescient. I want every single person, every single humane person who wants to stop the killings effected by the uh, Republican Party leaders, those who want to stop the killing by the Rep- Republican Party leaders need to listen to this guy.
1: One of the other people who knows this grief, sadly, someone who has met with the president to discuss this issue is Fred Gutenberg. His daughter, Jamie, was killed in the Parkland, Florida, MASH school shooting back in 2018. Um, Fred, thank you for joining us tonight. And, and first, I just want to say, um, I imagine this is very difficult emotionally uh, for you. And I, I, I'm offering my deepest condolences. And thank you for making a little time to talk to us tonight. Um Thank you. I, I honestly, just listening to the president, um, it, it, it just continues to pull me back to a moment that is unfathomable. Um, I mean, reality is my wife is downstairs, really emotional. I should be downstairs with her. Um, but the country needs to hear our voices. Um, this is not normal. This is not okay, and 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 I and I just want to kind of touch on something the president said when he said, why are we willing to live with this? We are not. It's time to call out who is. It's not we. 80-something, 90-something percent of the American people want this dealt with. But there is a very specific group, and they have managed to hold the country hostage on this issue. And it, currently, they all reside in one political party. A lot of them reside in Texas. The Texas governor, the Texas lieutenant governor, the two senators, they mock the issue of doing anything to reduce gun violence. They are all scheduled this Friday to be at the NRA convention that, by the way, is going to be held in Texas. This is not we, the majority of American people want something done. I, I Chris, I was on some of the earlier programming, and, and I'll say something I said earlier. Senator Murphy, you are a hero. You have been heroic today, but you can't do this alone. And the issue is in the Senate. The House is passing legislation. They will continue to pass legislation. The president will sign it. The Senate is a roadblock. I need any able-minded, reasonable Republican, if you still exist, walk into Senator Murphy's office tonight and grab him and say, I want to walk onto the Senate floor with you and join you in this. It is the only option left because the truth is this gun violence is predictable. It is preventable, but I can already tell you the next one is going to happen if we sit by and continue to do nothing. Fred you um you had your life changed obviously uh, with the death of your daughter and you what have what have you learned in, in the course of that you're not someone who was doing this before you now have done this for a bit you've been very 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 involved. I thought the country was actually maybe more divided on this and actually the country mm. Mm. is not 80 mm. to 90 percent of the country wants this done. It is amazing to me how separated a, mm. a, a governing body is from where the country is. And I, and I will tell you, there is a common thread, a person, a common person who has stood by as The numbers of weapons on the streets have increased, the number of killings have increased. His name is Mitch McConnell. He put out a statement today. It looked exactly like the statement he put out after my daughter was killed. And he stood by and still did nothing. And so I am actually amazed that this country has, that the numbers of people who say they want something done are blocked by Mitch McConnell and that governing body. And so there's also, for me, a weird sense of hope there, Hmm. because we know exactly where the problem is and we know exactly what to do about it, because if this latest shooting doesn't shake them and nothing gets done, there's an election not too far away. and Let's kick their butts out of out of out of the Senate because they're not doing their job.
0: And that's exactly what we are going to do in November. Now it's the time, like we've constantly said, the Republican Party, as Michael Rudnan said, is the party of death. I mean that's the outcome of their i mean uh, 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 they do you know the policies that they support you know, not giving health care death uh supporting the sale of a r fifteens death uh not supporting kids as they're growing up death it is the party of death, so folks. I think all these things that are that they're starting to do, they can't wait till they get into office, so they are preempting all the things that they would have normally done, right? It's going to cost because now the, you, you you have awoken a sleeping giant, a people who don't want to live in a in a country, a people who don't want to live in a country where they can't really live. I have one more video to give you. And this is Jason Johnson. Listen to what he has to say about what occurred in Uvalde. And then we'll take it on the other side.
1: I can't buy two Sudafed. Got a lot of allergies in my house. I can't buy two packages of Sudafed. (laughs) I couldn't adopt a dog from the ASPCA without a home visit. The laws are so broken, and why isn't the argument made that it is harder to buy allergy medicine and decongestant and adopt a puppy than it is to arm yourself with a weapon of war?
2: Voting, adopting a puppy, getting a damn car, all of these things are made more difficult because of the cowardice. And I'm going to say this, Nicole, I do not, obviously, do not wish harm on anyone. This is a tragedy. It hurts. Like, get off the air and you you feel like you want to cry when stuff happens like this. I promise you, if something like this happened at Phillips Exeter or Sidwell Friends, you'd see a change. See, a lot of these senators really don't care because they don't think it's ever going to be them. Oh, it may be their community. It may be their town. It may be their district. But it's not their kids. I promise you, if they started affecting directly some of these Republicans in the Senate, in the House, in these states, they would make a difference one way or another. They don't care. And every Democrat should be screaming at them every single second for the remainder of this year. The Republican organization, because it's not a party, does not care about your children and doesn't care if they die. And any Democrat who doesn't take that particular stance isn't concerned about our kids either.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. Folks, we are at the end of the show. I had two more videos to play, but uh we'll go ahead and play those on Monday along with the other interview that I did today. Look, I want to thank you all for for being here for having a healthy discussion my right wingers. I ask you to check your check your souls. I really and I and I say this with the most respect possible. Check your souls. Um, you know, there, there, there is a point where willful ignorance has to end. There's a point where numerical facts has to mean something for the good of not only the country, but for the well-being of your family and your offsprings. Mike Cisak, I urge you to stop it. Read appropriately. You have been snowed. You have been lied to. Carmen Nurse says, Egberto, states like Texas and Pennsylvania are planning on having MAGA governors who will be able to appoint uh, soft switch as they will use to toss out votes. Yeah, I know. That's what they're trying. We're not going to let them. Beto is going to win in Texas. I think Beto has... the, 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 The launching pad of Beto's campaign was when he fronted the governor and said, you are not doing a damn thing. Folks, Respectfully to my Republican brothers and sisters that are in here that are continuing to mimic the psychopaths that run their party, please think about your family. Think about your relatives. Think about them. Think about Buffalo. Think about what you saw somebody do in Buffalo. Think about what you saw that man do in Uvalde. If that doesn't bring out the human in you to state that the policies that allow what occurred to occur, um, I'm I'm telling you, I, I am very disappointed if you cannot, by God, it's not about, this is not about opinion at all. This is about death. This is about policy that causes death. And while the using guns are visible policies that cause death, many other Republican policies are nothing more than death purveyors. Today, I have the honor to be with a board member of Indivisible Houston and a not only local, but now a national hero, Benjamin Hernandez, Benjamin Hernandez, welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today, my friend?
3: Hey, I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I am doing great. And let me tell you, when I got notion from uh, that 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 this stuff went down from, uh, <laughs> I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. I, I here's a message I got. Wait for the video. You are going to love it. We are cleaning it up. The work got done. And that came from Daniel Cohen, president of uh, Indivisible Houston. And you're a board member of Indivisible Houston and you got it done. I tell you what, you actually did something to Ted Cruz that many people tried and they were never as successful as you were. So first of all, lay out exactly what happened in that, uh, in that eatery for me.
3: Yeah. I, I think, I mean, but I think I, I also want to say, man, it, it had to have been fate because, um, you know, a couple, you know, earlier this week, uh, Beto, you know, had, uh, you know, when he confronted governor Abbott, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wrote something on Twitter, like, you know, this is how we have to confront all these hypocrites. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, then on Wednesday night, Daniel is such good people, you know, with Indivisible Houston, the, the president and co-founder there of Indivisible. He called me Wednesday night and he's like, Hey, I got this idea. And I'm I was like what i mean it was like 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and i was like what's up and he's like i got these cutouts of ted cruz let's go drop them off in front of the convention center right on his chest you know i uh murdered uh, teachers and children right mm-hmm. and i was like let's go so like we're really busy people man we're busy as hell mm-hmm. but there we are thursday morning outside the convention center at 8 a.m just putting this up right and then on Friday, um, you know, um, you know, our team volunteered to do the live streaming for the protest for the entire protest, and put it right. on the internet. Right. And so I'd been in this space of like, this is the most important thing happening, you know, in, in, in this week and I needed to be involved. And so, you know, we were done, went home, took a shower and, uh, you know, went out for sushi and with my wife. And so we're having there, we're almost wrapping up. And then I look over and then I see. Ted Cruz and I'm like this f- ever right? Like sorry, I, like I don't know if you cuss or not here, but yeah. anyway, it uh like it, it just like came out like I tell people I don't really cuss, but it was just like this, f- you know? Like uh-huh. I'm trying to have sushi and here you are just walking in, and to me it was clear. I was like, okay, like I'm in this space, you know? To me, it's like everything aligned, and I'm here, and I have to do something, right? Right, because like I told you just the context of the week and like, it's real easy to tweet, right. And say something like, like Beto did, we got to confront all these people. But then when Ted Cruz walks into the room, it gets real, really Mm -hmm. fast. Right. And for me, it was like, I mean, there was just not, not a question of something had to be done. Right. And I was there and I was like, I'm going to do this.
0: Now when, uh, how, what happened? You saw him walk in, he sat down at a table with his family, I believe.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He was with a big party, you know, um, family. Like, I don't know. I don't know who they are. You know, I definitely recognize his wife. Um, I, I don't know much about his children, so I don't know if the, the, they were at the table or not, but I know mm-hmm. it was at least a party of eight people that were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And then uh, did you just approach the table or what did you do?
3: Yeah. So like, I I knew something had to be done. Right. And this is what I, what I love about like our, our, our network. Right. Cause I texted our our group here, uh, you know, indivisible, our our board members. And I was like, Hey, you're not going to believe this Ted Cruz is here. Like, like, give me your thoughts Mm -hmm. because like, to me, like, you know, we've been working on this collective action for, for years now. Right. And, and I'm like, how unlucky do you have to be Ted Cruz? Right. Like you know, we're a big city, right? Like city of Houston proper is 2 million plus mm-hmm. the metro area of over 6 million people. And I'm like, to find yourself in a restaurant where there is a board member of Indivisible, where our goal is to hold elected officials accountable, right? I'm like, how unlucky do you have to be? So anyways, I texted them and I got some ideas back, but it was ultimately sort of like, it was like, we got to go confront them and ask them the questions, Right ask them the hard questions. And so, you know, um, I'm figuring out like how to do this. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go up and just Mm -hmm. ask to take a picture. Right. Cause I've seen that before. So that's what I'm going to, do. but here's the interesting thing is like, I, um, I was, I was, I was trying to be like extra sly about it because I'm like, surely this guy's heard this before. So the way I walked up to him and I was like, excuse me, Senator, like, Hey, not now when you're finished with mm-hmm. your dinner, can I get a picture with you? I was like, no, not, not now finish your dinner. Cause they had just served them. And, and he's like, you know, because I thought if I go that route, then he, you know, he'd just be like even more unsuspecting right? kind of thing. That guy was like, no, let's do this now. And I was like, oh, let's OK, let's do this now. So I called my wife over who, who was ready and, and, and she was going to, you know, take, take the video of this whole thing.
0: Uh-huh. Now, uh huh. Now, she did a great video and I'm going to play the video in a little bit. But I mean, the, the video was great because it just looked like a, a, a two fans of Ted Cruz wanting to get a video with him. And he was eating it up. The guy is a colossal narcissist. And uh, not only a narcissist, but I actually think he believes in his own evil that it's not. And so it was amazing watching how he was—he was actually very into you that you were so into him. So what happened after that?
3: Yeah, I mean, like I could not wait to to to, to take that smile off my face for that, that 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 fake picture, right? Because as you saw, my friend told me, "Man, you went from zero to sixty real quick." I was like, "Yeah," because I'm like. I got to do this picture so I can get to him. And here's the interesting thing, right? It's like, that's the thing with Ted Cruz and, and, and these politicians, right. Who, who shield themselves from constituents, right. Mm-hmm. They're not the type of people try calling his office, right. You're going to get his voicemail. You're mm-hmm. making to an appointment, you know, you're not going to get one. Um, they're not the type of people that hold town halls. So what we got to do is we got to revert to these tactics of like, Hey, I want to take a picture of you so I can get close to you and ask you these questions. Right. So the moment we were done with that picture, like I, um, you know, I just turned to him and I just went in and I was like, Hey, why is it so hard to, con- uh, you know, to, to support background checks? And the reason to me, I started with that is because we very likely have different views on what we need to do with guns in this country, right. but I am like, surely we can start with common ground, which the vast majority of Americans support, right? With just background checks. And so that's where I started, right? And so immediately at some point, he gets wind of like, like, okay, We're like, some, some, like, I mean, not, he was not expecting that. He, you can see he glances down at the camera and he's like, okay, all right, it's going to be one of these. Um, and so we just did get like, I'm trying to ask him this question to which he has no answers. He goes to his canned response, which right. is, like, wow, the Democrats, the proposals, the devil. And I'm like, stop talking to me, man, about the proposals mm-hmm. of the Democrat. I want to know why the hell you can't get behind background checks. It is so simple. Right. So yeah, that's, that's, we moved into that part real quick.
0: You know, some of the people that I, I, I placed the video on, on my YouTube for politics done right. And Egberto on the run. And it, it turned out that some of the people, it's evident that they were right wingers, like you're not giving him a chance to talk. And when I saw some of the comments, I finally said, at last, at last, we are not the ones that are taken. At last, we are the ones that are given and saying, let me tell you, we are gonna force you not to bloviate. We are gonna force you not to put out a can answer because many times what they do is they're using your question to give, the, uh, to give the, the answer that they want to give the direction that they want people to actually hear on that conversation. And you never gave them a chance to do that. And that was what was so perfect about the way you approached uh, Ted Cruz. Those people who like or think they like Ted Cruz would look at that and say, well, give him a chance to talk. You never allowed him to say what you weren't gonna, the fallacies that he normally puts out there. Finish that for yeah, me.
3: Yeah, because you know, at some moment he's like, well, let me speak. And I was like, okay, we'll speak. But when I see he's just going into these things, like I don't have time for that, right? Like there, there are people, we are in this moment, right? because there are families who just lost their kids and the two teachers, right? Like, and so you're going to sit here and try to give me this can't, I don't have time for that. Right. And I had not sort of analyzed it until you're saying that, but to me, it just like, it was never a question. I mean, I was really trying to see like, this wasn't a gotcha thing. I was just like, to me, I was like, Hey, I want to know this, right? Like, tell me where you are on this and why this is so hard. It wasn't a gotcha. And so when I'm like, Wait, you're trying to give me that thing, that response, that canned response that I heard earlier in the week mm-hmm. from you, from Sky News that you gave it to that British reporter? Like, that's the same thing you're trying to give me in right. Uptown Sushi. I'm not taking it because I'm like, that's not what I'm about. I want an answer that it doesn't seem to compute why the hell you can't get behind something so exactly. basic.
0: Exactly. Exactly. One of the other things, Benjamin, that I, that I really am, I'm hoping all of us in mm-hmm. the movement start to do is right now we saw those murders and those murders are a direct result of the policies of Republicans, Ted Cruz, uh, Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick, and all the cabal in Washington. You and I know that. But those deaths that we saw in, in, in uh, Uvalde, those deaths that we saw in Buffalo, those deaths that we saw at Sandy Hook, those are physical debts we can see. We can see flesh and blood on the ground. The debts that we don't see are more profound and larger. Texas not accepting the Medicaid expansion to Affordable Care Act. That killed a lot of people. We don't see the flesh and blood on the ground. Not giving parents the ability to find suitable locations for their kids when they go to work. Create latchkey kids that create the problems that have kids without supervision and further debts. I want us to expand the, the, the GOP killing to not just the flesh and blood we see on the ground, mm-hmm. but further, what's your thoughts on that?
3: You know, I, I don't know what your you know, uh, religious background is, but, but I'll tell you, you know, as a Christian to me, one thing that just irks me so much incenses me about this whole situation is because you have this political party, Republicans talking about upholding life and life this and life that, but everything that they do in practice is against life, right? Like you talked about healthcare, whether it's Medicaid or or supporting people who need it or supporting children, right? And everything that they, or guns in this case, right? So everything that they are doing is against life. And so to me, when I see it, you're absolutely right. And I think we have to begin to call them out on that because there is a hypocrisy in that, in that they uphold life and they say these are the things we do we you know the uh, on abortion right the classic case right like they are protecting the unborn child and yet they are ignoring everything else and to me that's something that has to begin to be called out and i think we have to have honest conversations because people are dying every day i'm going to take this a step further one of the big disappointments to me that has happened in in in, in sort of the you know in, in in these past couple of years is if republicans you know they're always talking about god and, and 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 their christianity and their faith right the vast majority of them right mm-hmm. there's, there's there's everybody Exceptions, in the Republican yeah. part. right right but they uphold these values and i'm like you know we just went through a worldwide pandemic y'all should have been the first ones. If you care about life so much, y'all should have been the first one. They're like, we need to get out of here and get vaxxed. We need to do this for others because our faith, you know, uh, requires that we be good to people. Right. And to me, when I'm looking at them, like, but y'all are against the most basic things that will help life, you know, that, that will make life life better for people. I'm like, who the hell are you? You know, like, I don't know what you're about. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen over the past couple of years. We've seen this unmasking of Republicans and really who they are. Right. They say they are one thing, but in reality, they're another.
0: I am so happy that I that I'm here interviewing you, Benjamin. And let me tell you why, because you get it, because the group that you represent get it. And that is what we have to call that a few days ago. I interviewed Andrew Smookler. He is somebody who ran for office as a fairly progressive Democrat in Virginia. And he said one of the problems with so many progressives, with so many Democrats, is the inability to call things the way they really are. The inability to look at what Republicans are doing and articulate it to people that what they are doing is utter evil. And he said the word evil. You know, we, car- we cater it in words like they're not doing what's right. They're being hypocrites, et cetera. Some of this, people die. People get hurt. People get maimed. This is utter evil. And when I heard the way you expressed it, I said, you know what? We are in good hands with folks like you leading the movement. I, one of the things that I always ask at the end of my interviews is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Or what would you like to add to this particular discussion?
3: I think we have to move away from from this uh you know this is this veil of civility, right? I think we have to learn to confront our elected officials and leaders, especially when they are hiding from us. And I think there's two levels to that. One confronting them, whether it's on the street, whether it's a restaurant, like like I had to do, movie theater, it doesn't matter because if they're hiding from us, I think we have to confront them if they're not creating the space for us to ask questions. And get answers because at the end of the day, we've heard the thing right. They work for us, so if they work for us, why are they hiding from us? And then the second thing I would say is that that's for them. That is reserved for them. I would say for our community and the people around us. I think we have to engage in meaningful conversations because the people that are dividing us are these elected officials, right? Those people we have to confront and be shameless about confronting them and get the courage to confront them. But when we look at our communities and our neighborhoods, you know. For the vast majority of them, we're not like that. We can engage in conversation. I bet like something like, like as background checks, we would find agreement with our neighbors, no matter where they are mm-hmm. on, on, on the political aisle. And so to me, it's those things hand in hand. I would encourage other folks, if you, you take anything away from this is go and confront your elected officials and with your community, engage them in those conversations, you know, but we cannot back down because we've been doing that for far too long and it's got us to where we're at now. You know, they always say, right, the the, the time is not, not now for this. Well, it's now. It's now. And we're making the space. That's what I'm asking others. Make the space for those conversations when they don't make it for us.
0: Benjamin Hernandez, board member of Indivisible Houston and our latest hero to confront Ted Cruz, someone who's there damaging us all. Thank you so kindly, Benjamin, for having been on Politics and Right.
3: All right. Take care, man. Thank you.
0: Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Today we have the honor of speaking to Tori Mercer. Tori Mercer, I always get that name wrong, but anyhow. Um, uh, t- t- uh, Tori left a message after our show or during our show yesterday that really touched me and it had a lot to do with the gun issues that we we're all discussing. But beforehand, welcome to Politics and Right, Tori. How are you doing today?
4: Great. It's such an honor to be on your show. I've been listening to you for years and I just think you're the best, you know, especially back when KPFT used to have callers. That would and people would call in that just didn't agree with you at all, and you were so gentle with them, and you know led them through the Socratic dialectic that just implied that we're all one thing, we're all together, you know, we're all one people, as opposed to some of these other political uh, commentators that where they're just in a fight, they're just they want to draw lines between people and separate people, and you want to bring people together, and it's I mean, just that's- very positive. Thank you very much for that. But that, that's what I think
0: my, my call, that's what I want my calling to be. And that is that we do that because, you know, people are, you know, I, my wife used to say people are people and she's right. And, you know, I, we, we, we have more in common in just about everything than apart. And the, the powers that be, they need to keep us separated if they want to succeed in pilfering us all. But I have, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, Tori, Because I've, I've listened to a lot of your poems. I've listened to some of your sort of rap stuff. And I really enjoy what you have to bring to the political discourse. So tell people what's your background.
4: Um, oh, man, it's just uh, it's all over the place. Uh, juvenile delinquent, uh, social studies teacher, uh, dirt bike rider, motorcycle guy, bicycle guy. Um, You know, working with uh, fairly radical nonprofits, Pueblo to People was uh, my first career, uh, a nonprofit organization that worked with uh, to import things from indigenous people in Latin America. For the most part, we started the fair trade coffee movement in the U.S. back when Ronald Reagan was president. We flew plane loads of Nicaragua, Sandinista coffee into Canada, roasted it in Canada and then sold it in the USA with a you know a big FU to Ronald Reagan. Uh so we broke the embargo. And uh and it's just been one thing after another after that. Pirate radio, we did a pirate pirate radio here in Houston for 18 months, you know, eight hours a day of fresh public affairs. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, a bunch of kids up there, you know, playing their old Who records. We were uh Doing And that's why we got away with it. The FCC let us broadcast for 18 months because we were, you know, fulfilling uh, the duty of radio Mm -hmm. to inform people. We had all kind of folks that were, you know, KPFT programmers that had uh, gotten, you know, kicked off and um, uh, they're doing public affairs. They weren't making a lot of money, but, you know, solid public affairs programmers, many of which are back on the air now. Um, But um, uh, it's, uh, you know, every kind of solidarity campaign uh, in Latin America when, you know, all the civil wars were going on down there. You know, you're from Panama. You already know what I'm talking about. Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala. So, you know, we had solidarity campaigns here in Houston. So that's my perspective. Uh, Never quite fit in with, uh, you know, the hardcore Marxist, Leninist kind of leftists. I was always more uh, civil libertarian oriented and uh, but still solid socialist. So, you know, uh, not a lot of people over in my camp. So I've always had to work with, uh, you know, other people, you know, Uh, I never found a lot of right uh, ground with right wingers, you know, haven't worked with them too much. But, you know, all my friends in Houston are lefties and then you know, there's the artist side of, you know, a lot of punk rockers. Uh, originally, the original punk rock scene was very attractive to me because there was a lot of political bands. And it just seemed like, you know, a continuation of the social activism kind of art that was going on in the 1960s. Uh, since then, you know, punk rock has become, you know, just another cliche like everything else. So I'm always looking for a way to plug in, you uh, you know, you know, connect art and politics. Well, I, I know you, you've been doing a good job, car, per, car Show and all these other
0: places that you participate in. And of course, you're a historian, so um, you you, you know a whole lot about history. But let me tell you why I really wanted to speak to you. Uh, everybody has a position on the gun debate, but I, uh, you know where I stand as far as bringing folks together, etc. cetera. You're, I read the first part of your very long comment in our show yesterday. And before reading the entire thing, I called you up and I said, I want you on my show today to speak a little bit about that before I read the entire thing, because I could see where it was going. And here's what you said. Countries with strong democracies have people that trust the government and feel safe. Americans left and right do not trust the government and do not feel safe. There is a direct correlation here with gun culture, how to fix America's gun problem Uh, let's break it down. Both sides in the gun debate do not feel safe. Both sides are afraid. And when I just, that's all I read. And by the way, it's about (laughs) 20 times that length. But that's all I read. And then I said, you've got to come on to Politics Done Right and tell us about this. Because I I think people don't see the symmetry between what we call the crazy right wing and what we call the very left. They all have grievances, uh Tori. All have grievances, but there, there's something at the core there, and that is why isn't the government working for us all? So go ahead and take it away.
4: Well, you know, um, I've been at this for a long time and I'm uh, like I s I'm I like to use analysis. You know, I took a CIA course at you know, history, of the CIA at U of H, Thomas O'Brien, and you know, it's all about analysis. You know, um, you know, whether you, no matter what you're doing in life, you know, you got to figure things out. You're an engineer. Right. It's all about analysis. And uh, so I find that increasingly that, you know, the whole left and right uh, way of looking at the world just doesn't work anymore because it's the world's more complex than that. And uh, this and as you know we become one world, you know, it gets even more complex because there's, you know, so many different political systems and philosophies. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, I don't think in terms of left and right anymore. Um, I think in terms of, uh, you know, how are we going to all kind of get on the same page? You know, okay. we're trying to get through this dialectic. You know, we're trying to bring very disparate points of view together to be on the same page. And so um, it's, you know, a lot about listening. It's a lot about analyzing. You know, there's what people say, and then there's the subtext. You know, what does that mean in the analysis? You know, as a poet, I like to put things into metaphors. And um, when I hear the right-wingers, you know, talk about gun rights, you know, and I'm not I'm thinking at the cultural level, the mass mm-hmm. level, not at the NRA level, which is basically a lobby group for the gun industry. And, you know, we know what they want. Lockyer, mm-hmm. they just want some money and they're going to get it. And uh uh that's not the gun culture. OK, the gun culture is the entire country before it was a country. And, uh, you know, guns were part of our safety. You know, when back when there was this, these single shot muskets, you know, there's you know, there's wolves outside, you know, and you got to, you know, you got to go outside to go to the bathroom. You know, you got to take your gun outside with you just to go to the bathroom. You know, it's about feeling safe and guns make us feel safe. And that's from, you know, you know, the get go. And so when uh, I I see the right wingers and we're what we call right wingers and gun nuts and, you know, gun culture people, you know, they're all about this, uh what is it, the Second Amendment? Um, uh, the right to bear arms. So we got to break that down. Uh, what is that about? You know, it's not about hunting. It's about King George. And King George can represent both domestic and foreign enemies. You know, he was the king from another place, but he was also, you know, English and all the colonists were English. He was a domestic problem before he was a foreign problem. And so as a poet, I like to think of King George, you know, uh, you know, he's not mentioned in the Constitution, but, you know, the Second Amendment's all about King George. And that just represents authoritarianism. You know, it represents the antithesis of the ideal, not that we've reached the ideal, but the ideal is a demo- democratic, horizontal society. And King George, you know, represents authoritarianism, whether domestic, like Donald Trump, or whether foreign, like some you know, autocratic system that might be imposed from without. And so, uh uh, and as a civil libertarian, you know, hardcore socialist, left-wing civil libertarian, you know, I, you know, believe in vigilance. You know, also I'm a historian. And so, you know, I know that there's a lot of precedents for uh authoritarianism to pop up, you know, whether it's um You know, the red scares, you know, from the 20s and 30s or, you know, during the civil wars where I became uh, enculturated and politicized, the civil wars in uh, Latin America during, you know, Reagan and, you know, Bush point one. I remember when there was some solid opposition to particularly what was going on in El Salvador. And, you know, this runs through the Carter administration and there was rumors, you know, that there were detention camps being set up at military bases in the U.S., uh, four of them, to hold 10,000 people each. In case, just in case, things really popped off and, you know, there was mass, you know, civil disobedience and rebellion against U.S. foreign policy. You know, it never, you know, got to that point, but... um, it made a lot of people in the left uh, back in the 1980s think that, Hey, maybe we should, uh, you know, get some guns. I never bought a gun. I've never bought a gun in my life. Um, but uh, uh, I know people that did, you know, some other hardcore lefties buying automatic weapons and, you know, riot control shotguns and crazy stuff. That's even, that's illegal now. Um, um <laughs> And uh, one communist friend of mine bought a, Uh, automatic shotgun and, you know, uh, blew a hole in a roof of his house. And eventually those are illegal. Now he had to give it up, but uh, you know, we need regulation on guns. I mean, there's any number of ways to fix. I I want to stop you right there, uh, Tori, for one thing, because what you've just showed me there
0: is that you've showed that during the times where many on the left feel a certain level of threat that amazingly your response wasn't all that different than some of these guys on the right, even though you and I know that their fear is
4: really a false fear. But sure. that reaction was there. Yeah. I mean, it's like people need to trust their government. You know, what's the difference between the USA and countries that have a lot of guns uh, that, you know, Or, you know, don't have a lot of guns, doesn't even matter, but, you know, democracies that people were, you know, think Nordic countries where people trust their government, Mm -hmm. you know, things, you know, it's not. Just it doesn't start with the gun issue and it doesn't start with gun culture. It starts with social safety net, you know, people feeling safe, you know, that they're going to be able to get uh, a place to live and food and education and medical care and care when they're old and care for their children. You know, just a sense of safety. You know, we don't have that in the USA. (laughs) I I wanted to rub for one reason, because, you know, we we, we give the right
0: a hard time now justifiably, but the, the parts of the right that we seem to me we really should give a hard time is the leadership that is that that's forcing that false narrative into those on the right to believe their culture is being usurped when we've always had a multicultural system, just that others are being empowered now. That somehow something is being taken away from them, that that their birthright is being taken away from them when many a times the converse
4: is true. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, we're always, we're constantly battling the past and, you know, that's sort of the essence of the conservative movement in the U.S. It starts with the Voting Rights Act and uh, the Civil Rights Act in 1964. You know, like, black people are going to vote? Oh my gosh. I mean, that, you know, Triggered the biggest shift in this country. You know, all those, you know, uh, Klansmen from the 1930s and uh, other folks that supported the New Deal and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I mean, they were the Democratic Party in the South. Mm-hmm, the KKK right. ran the Southern Democratic Party. And it, you know, you know, to, you know, here's our analysis, you know, it made the New Deal possible. And right. when, you know, a lot of those Klansmen didn't go away by the 1960s when they were still Democrats, but they left the Democratic Party and went and became Republicans mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, their world was shifting into a, a new thing. They weren't used, they just weren't ready for it. Right. And, uh, uh, they weren't ready for the new world, and they wanted to conserve the old, you know, stratified, you know, social system where there's a subclass, you know, people that were below the constitutionally protected, you know, legal system.
0: Yeah, I like I like the way that you brought in, and uh, you remember I said I only read your first part, which is what I wanted to discuss, and then how you brought in Chile and all the things that happened with Pinochet and Allende. What I really want to talk about right. now is what do you see as a solution with uh, the gun issues, with gun regulations, et cetera? How do you see a solution that both the left and the right will accept?
4: Well, there's two fixes. One's very long term and it's a cultural fix. And it has to do, and when we start with guns, you start with providing people everything they need to feel safe. You know, the social safety net, you know, from cradle to grave. And, um, you know, it's a little more difficult here in this incredibly class stratified society that's multicultural, you know, it's a lot easier here than it is in Switzerland, okay? I mean, it's just like, that's a long-term fix, okay? The short-term fix is to uh, basically satisfy the needs, you know, the deep needs, what we would call the subtext of both of these signs, you know, the right-wingers, we call them, or the gun nuts, and, you know, the, you know, progressives, or just, you know, people that are afraid to send their kids out of their house because you know that you know they go to church or to school or to the mall and the kids are going to get shot, you know. So, uh, how do we you know deep listen to both of these sides and come up with some kind of legal solution as opposed to a cultural solution? And so, um, you know, when I hear you know the right wingers because you know I'm, I think that's who you know people on the progressive left need to listen to the most because you know, we're too busy listening to ourselves and we understand what that problem is. We understand what our needs are, but in order to get to the solution and move this ball down the field, we need to, you know, do some deep analysis of the right. You know, and I'm not talking about, you know, the gun lobby and these people that are just exploiting the chaos because there's no end to, you know, people that will exploit chaos for profit. They're not going to go away. But the people that are really concerned you know, like these, you know, kind of right wing veterans that listen to Fox Fox news and, uh, they've uh, been in the military. They've, uh, uh, sworn an allegiance to the constitution and, uh, you know, they might not be scholars. So I'm kind of energy, you know, kind of, you know, interjecting a little bit here, but, you know, they're afraid of King George, you know, to use a metaphor, they're afraid of, you know, back in the fifties, it was, Oh, the communists are going to take over the government, you know? And then, uh, now it's like, uh, you know, now Bernie Sanders is going to take over the government. You know, who knows? You know, these. You know their analysis isn't great. But, you know, they're basically, it goes back to a legal position of defending, uh, you know, using the Constitution, uh, which has its good points and bad points, but using that Second Amendment to basically say, you know, we need to be aware of authoritarianism. We need to be aware of overreach by, you know our government or any other government, you know, and, you know, what they're really afraid of is gun confiscations, you know, doing something that's outside of their will and um, having a gun registry. Okay. So uh, how do we, you know, get to a safe place and satisfy the progressives on the left and uh, satisfy everybody, the people on the right, how do we, you know, get to a point where we have background checks and, you know, safety Uh, insured, you know, that somebody knows how to use a gun. It's not mentally unstable. Um, How do we do that without having a gun registry? And it's just not that complicated. You know, this isn't rocket science, you know, Um, and it has to do with what I call a gun purchasing license. Okay. So, you know, it's like we have all kinds of other licenses that uh, people need to acquire whenever they want to do anything. It's all about a level of trust, right? You know, whether you're going to teach children or do brain surgery, you have this license, you know, to do electricity, whatever. Um, you know, it says that, you know, you were allowed to go out and do this job. And because we trust you, that's a license. And that's the legal thing. Okay. We just need to separate that license uh, that, you know, says we trust you to use a gun. We need to separate that from the actual purchase of a gun, okay. Now, people that sell guns have those licenses. I mean, people that have uh, you know gun stores, you know, they have to get a license from the government. That says you know we trust you to sell these guns, and they have to like you know do their due diligence and uh, um, you know make sure they're not you know doing illegal things with their guns. You know, selling them to you know overseas or whatnot. Um, and so, just uh, it's that simple. Uh, we separate the license to buy a gun from buying a gun. You know, you get a license to drive a car. Doesn't it mean your car just is registered? You don't have to buy a car. You just need, you know, you get a license to drive. The government says we trust you to drive a car. And uh, then imagine if when you went to buy a car. You had to show that license. And you can't buy a a car without a license that shows, you know, you can drive safely. But there's no connection between the purchase of the car and the license. You know, you're not registered. Um, And so that's how a, a, a gun purchasing license would work. It would basically just extend the license from a gun dealer to a gun owner. Uh, except, um, you know, there's no connection. You you know, by law, the gun uh, sellers, you know, would not be able to register you as the purchaser of the gun. If I
0: understand your concept is but you have to qualify for the license, which means that license would make sure that you are mentally competent, that you haven't beaten your wife, that you haven't done all of these things. And once you prove that you're a responsible citizen, you have a license to go out there and. By weapons. The part that you didn't cover in your article is what about weapons of war? Do you want to? We should prohibit the sale of those in your in your uh, phase or or
4: what? Yeah, I don't think that, uh, you know, the ultimate concept is safety. You know, so we want guns to make us feel safe, you know, and, you know, I mean, I don't want one, but that's why a lot of people want them. And so, you know, to protect your house, you know, from a burglar or whatever invading. Um, you know, you probably need a small pistol, uh, if you maybe a shotgun, the problem with these, you know, AR-15s, these high powered weapons, you know, isn't that they have, you know, magazines that shoot 30 shots. The problem is the size of the bullet. I mean, right. these things are huge. They right. will go through three brick houses in right. your neighborhood. So you're trying to stop the guy that's getting in your backyard Sure, okay, let's say you shoot him and you stop him, and then it goes through uh it goes know, through him go, and kills somebody else It goes through the wall of your house and it goes through the wall of the you know the two brick walls of the next house and then it goes through the two brick walls of the next house. I mean it's not the right tool for the job you know My i mean question to like, you then is in as in as much as you're saying this part is easy
0: there's a small fringe that I don't think would like the idea that I think you're coming to a conclusion of, and that is we probably shouldn't allow the sales of weapons of war, like the AR-15.
4: Well, uh, just like, you know, every other tool that you buy at Home Depot, we need our tools to be safe. You know, we don't need them hurting people and, you know, that don't need to be hurt. I mean, yeah, you might want to shoot the burglar or whoever rape coming in your house, but uh, you know, You can do that with just a small weapon, you know, Uh, you don't need a weapon that will, you know, penetrate a tank. (laughs) I think if if
0: people learn how to bifurcate the discussion uh, as you did, you know, meaning uh, you you, you still allow abstraction of owning a gun to some extent. But at the same time, you know, you have to say we won't allow you to own a bazooka or AR-15 I don't I think that's a better sell once we get control away from the NRA. But we are coming up close on time uh right now. Uh Sorry. so let me ask you to give me a quick one minute closing statement here.
4: Yeah, ultimately, uh it's not a legal fix. It's a cultural fix. You know, we need people to feel safe. We want We don't want anybody to have guns, including the police or the military or the civilians. You know, we want a peaceful world where, you know, there's a horizontal democracy, one person, one vote, not some stranglehold on power like which a republic is. You know, we need to move beyond our constitution. We need a better constitution. We need to fix our culture. You know, everything is south of the culture, you know, every all kind of politics, economics, Everything is a subset of culture. So that's the long-term goal, is to change the culture. And, you know, and we're ahead of everybody else. I mean, it's easy enough to fix a culture in Sweden or Denmark where it's mostly monocultural. I mean, you know, we're ahead of the curve. We're multicultural, and that's a good thing. There's a lot of advantages to that. But, you know, there's, you know, the issues. And so uh, we have to fix those as we go along. And it's up to us because, you know, we are... The world's leading multicultural, you know, mm-hmm. place. And so we got to do it. And here we are doing it. <laughs> Tori
0: Mercer, uh, thank you so kindly for having been on on, on uh, Politics Done Right. And I tell you something, sir, that last, there you go, buddy. There you go. That that's last my group, statement. Extinction Rebellion. That's what I'm I doing know, now. Been, I know that's what you are, brother. That last statement is present. Thank you so kindly, Tori. Cheers, mate. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it, how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America Utopia take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions from my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT only membership for $40, a Pacifica only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org. Choose Politics Done Right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. You can listen. IES but don't you forget listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds keep KPFT I'm